Hello, and welcome to A Long Way Down, a Delta Raid deep dive. I am Casey Elaine Wilson, one of your hosts, and as ever, I'm joined by... Rebecca McNulty. Um, so, eventually we're going to get to our main topic for the day, which is protest music and the evolution of Morning Comes, uh, but I feel like it's been a while since we've actually done a recording at this point. <laughs> should... The semester well, okay. killed me. <laughs> Yeah, and we recorded this episode once already, and I was right on the verge of getting very, very sick. And when I emerged from being sick a week later, I was like, I don't really remember that recording at all. I'm kind of scared to listen to it. And so we're re-recording it. (laughs) I'm always afraid to listen to it, so I'm no help there. Well, I, I am too, but I also like, this one in particular, I was like, I don't think I was coherent at all so i promised that you were but here we are uh well yeah but um anyway so let's see where where are we at we're recording this a little over a week before the raleigh shows um a little more than a week before i get to see you yes you're coming on monday not even a week you're less than a week don't don't go putting more time in this i i went the wrong direction it's been a really long (laughs) three months Casey (laughs) I know I know um and uh we're in the midst of getting a lot of really exciting and cruel teaser snippets from the recording of the dark out in Texas yep um which this will come back up later but um the snippets that we have gotten are really cementing my idea of what the major theme of the dark is going to be and so I'm excited to get to that later in the episode um but but yeah so that's that's where we are um in the recent past i made a firm uh request for a cozy delta ray hoodie to be in the merch department as may have start accidentally started a mini hoodie demand revolution um it finally dips just cold enough that i'm curled up in my harry potter hoodie but i would rather be thematically appropriate yeah exactly um but but yeah no we just things are going things are going I gave an exam this morning which means i am actively procrastinating on grading by recording this podcast which is exactly where i want to be in my life so i feel this on a very deep level i have so much grading to do i can't even tell you how many tabs are open right now <laughs> i just really don't want to but i'll get there it'll happen because the deadlines are coming and you're coming and so i have to get grading done <laughs> eventually uh, <laughs> but in the meantime let's pretend like we're serious academic type people um i and, can pretend that one yeah and, and jump in here um so so yeah like i said one of the things that i want to explore a little bit today is kind of how morning comes has evolved as a song which is actually really timely in a lot of ways because the um, final show of the year for delta ray is them playing through carry the fire the album that morning comes first appeared on in its entirety for the first time um it's going to be recorded and filmed and uh i think it'll be a really interesting and and moving and compelling show um and I think one of the center points of it will be that performance of Morning Comes. And how different that yeah. performance is going to be now than I'm it would so have been. I'm so interested. Yeah, I, 
we'll get, we'll probably that'll probably come up later but I'm, I'm really curious to see how morning comes feels now in the midst of that album and a live performance like it's going to be so interesting um but anyway so all that means is what that means is that we're going to be doing some history and some close reading as ever because that's what we do um and some quoting and might even actually get a a few song snippets in today can we just point out that this is how we procrastinate Casey? okay this is how we procrastinate but also <laughs> it's the end of the semester and the fact that we're even making actual sentences is truly astonishing to me at this i point. know right i make I, no promises the whole week the whole week walking through the halls every time i see someone we're just like we're still alive we're <laughs> almost there <laughs> like, i tried to I tried to send an email this morning saying, oh, no, I'm sorry that's happening. Why don't you contact Canvas support? And I wrote campus and cancus and can you us? And then I kind of gave up. Yeah, no, it's as long as our. OK, this is going down a whole different rabbit hole. We should need to stop <laughs> talking about teaching. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to go on a whole new technology rant, but we don't need that right now. Uh, <laughs> sorry. No, it's OK. But anyway, so coming back to the topic, because we're very <laughs> focused and we don't go on tangents at all, ever. Never. <laughs> back to morning comes and my very neatly written paper that is going to be demolished because we're in a mood, I can tell already. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things I've been thinking about a lot with regards to, to Delta Ray is how is, is the evolution of morning comes, um, both in terms of meaning and performance uh so as i said a minute ago uh morning comes appears on carry the fire which was their first full-length studio album um and it was released in 2012 it's the third song on that album um after holding on to good and is there anyone out there uh both of which to me at least are songs that kind of speak to the questions and challenges of personal and individual identity kind of situated against larger relationships and and cultural challenges um and so it makes sense to me that Morning Comes follows those two songs. Um, when introducing the song on stage and in discussing it el elsewhere, Eric often establishes that the song is about his father, uh, specifically about the hard work and struggle and, and love that he and his siblings witnessed from him uh, as they were growing up. And in the original recording and also in the, that, the acoustic version that appears at the end of the quote unquote deluxe version of Carry the Fire, uh, the, the tone and structure of the song mirrors that personal reading. You know, it's Eric's vocals are very strong. The rest of the ba band is very actively present. It's a it's absolutely a big song, but it's also a pretty contained kind of more intimate ballad um, in a lot of ways. Uh, even the the video kind of captures the same perspective, albeit from a really different angle. <laughs> um, the the video and it's pretty commonplace at this point. I feel like with Delta Ray videos to be a combination of of very very ambitious and a little bit silly and. Um, visually striking in some capacity yeah the so the video like takes all of these things and has eric doing a one take walk across the beach at sunrise um as his band members 
attack him with feathers, pies, and a variety of other materials that a bunch of siblings and friends might wish to use to torture someone they love. Um, and has given me a running list of things around which I will not be with Casey. Listen, Mom. I've never actually thrown a pie at your face, I don't think. I feel like we could have come up with a place where that would have happened, given the opportunity. Yeah, I'm just saying that, like... go near pie. Okay, we do go near pie, though. We have pie. Pie is good. Don't don't get it. Don't get it wrong. I'm just pointing out that I need a pie safety valve. Now I'm trying to imagine what a pie safety (laughs) valve would look like. It's a lot of steam. Yeah. Um, But no, like, I mean, there is some real genuine joy and glee um, on the faces of those pelting Eric with various items. Um, which oh, when anyone who has siblings understands on a deep intrinsic level, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on the outside of that particular one, but my kid, whenever she hears Eric's voice, kind of looks at me and goes, is this the one with the beach balls and the feathers? <laughs> and it makes me laugh. Yes. No, it's very good. But what that does thematically is put the video in a place where it also kind of captures that notion of an individual pushing through a range of obstacles um, to kind of reach that moment of joy and release and catharsis at the end, um, even if those obstacles are your best friends and siblings. And I think there's an argument there about the antics contributing to that ultimate joyful resolution. There's a lot to get through, but there's fun in the struggle right and and also like that ending of them all kind of like running and leaping and being excited around the beach and into the water and all of that oh, right it's that, so happy that there's all of these challenges and things but also that there's that sense of community right that they end up together in that way yeah and i think that yeah it's been a, it's actually been a while since i've actively watched that video i need to go back and do that it's just so cheerful. it's just it's wonderfully cheerful in a place that really could have been and sometimes is a lot darker right and it's like it's it would also have been really easy to make a video for this song super melodramatic in a way Mm -hmm. that i think would undercut it um because in a lot of ways the song is not that um and so yeah yeah um but uh what is what I think really significant about this to me also is the fact that all of this is happening in the early 2010s, right? Uh, the album came out in 2012. Um, and now we are rapidly approaching 2020 um, and all that that means. Yeah. Um, and in that time, the meaning and context of the song has really come to change pretty dramatically. Um, Eric himself referenced this and totally scooped me in (laughs) the VIP pre-show meet and greet in Atlanta in September. Um, He mentioned how he has enjoyed playing Morning Hums of late in part because it feels like it's less about an individual struggle and fight and more about a collective struggle and fight, which is almost exactly the words I had used on the drive to that concert to describe (laughs) my argument to you. I can confirm that this did indeed happen. And so anyway, it was very satisfying and also very, you know, just one of those things where I was like, listen, let me be smart. Don't steal my smart ideas, even if they're about your songs. <laughs> End of the semester, y'all, I'm really loopy. Um, that that shift, what, what's interesting to me is that that shift from individual to collective 
we're going to, you know, I'm going to trace it through on this external level of theme and kind of community and even kind of national level stuff. But you also pointed out, uh, I think really well, Rebecca, that the, that shift is also in the song itself. The lyrics to Morning Comes are also pretty explicit in shifting the focal identity as the song progresses. We start with a first person speaker in the past tense who found a good woman and a job that pays before the tide comes in in the present tense and the speaker watches it wash away. Then in the present progressive, the speaker is keeping it steady, referencing how I was raised in the past tense before this heart grows tired back in the simple present. The individual identity is most heavily in the past when things are going well for the individual. And I think that matters most because it's easy to pay attention to that individual story when things are going well. When things start to go badly, suddenly that perspective starts to change. And the present progressive is the most interesting for me to note because it implies continuous action. The speaker watches the tide wash away and then the action ends. The speaker then is keeping it steady or walking tall into each breaking wave. And that action continues beyond the moment. He doesn't stop keeping it steady or stop walking tall. The individual identity continues to shift forward to the collective. That moment, the bank threatens not just the individual, but the community. Suddenly, it's not just one person walking progressive into the storm. It's the community that lives around here, expanding outwards beyond that individual. We move slowly to the speaker's family, then his hometown, and then finally, my people, without a collective limit on what group of people my people could represent. We move back to the individual experience with a few directed questions. Can I be blamed if I'm angry? Can I be saved if I'm barely clinging to hope? But the answer, again, is in the progressive. I'm clinging to hope. I don't stop clinging to hope. And here we finally find that first-person plural the song has been foreshadowing through these progressive moments. It always rains down on us, collective in our home. And then we hit that last stanza, which shifts from we to you, for the first time explicitly including anyone other than the speaker and those people the speaker encounters outside of the narrative boundaries. So if you ever feel like you're all alone after the night, the morning comes. And in that way, the song takes a first-person narrative and suddenly throws it back at the listener in a way that's just so pretty, Casey. Yeah. Well, it's it's particularly interesting, too, because of how that, that narrative structure works, right? Where the, um, and especially thinking about this as, as a song that is being performed, right? Where that, that transition then invites not just, you know, a single listener, but a collective entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... Well, I know you're- you're going to touch on this a little more, but I think that's why this song has started to take on such a larger meaning in the last few yeah. years. Yeah, no, exactly. And then that that the in narrative perspective shift is has been mirrored over the last few years, in particular, by the out of narrative performances. Um, yes. And so, 
In order to understand how this change has manifested, we have to consider Delta Ray's protest songs. And to do that, we have to go back to Yankee Doodle. Because that's where you always have to start. Of course. Because also, it's Yankee Re- and it's Doodle. Yes. Rebecca, yes. I have to interrupt this whole thing to read mm-hmm. you something that I saw while um, you were doing your new take. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good, though, and I will, I'm worried that I will forget, so I'm going to read it to you now. It was okay. from Reddit. And I might even just leave this in because it's very good. Um, <laughs> and it's <laughs> um, a on the Reddit, uh, am I the asshole thing? Uh, and the subreddit, and it's am I the asshole for ordering 50 trees? <laughs> so background no, information. Never. <laughs> it gets so much better. So background <laughs> information. I'm 19, still live at home, senior year in high school. A week ago, I ordered 50 trees because my favorite tree farm was shutting down. When my mom found out, she got mad and hasn't talked to me since. (laughs) I've ordered trees from there before and paid for everything myself. The trees are still very small and won't grow over two meters till I've already moved out. I'll take them with me. (laughs) The trees stay in containers so they are easily movable. My mom knew I was ordering trees, just not how many. (laughs) I plan to place the trees in a part of the garden no one uses anyway. I've told my mom all of this. It wasn't a very expensive purchase, around 250 total, including soil and containers, which is amazing for (laughs) 50 trees. So many trees. I didn't feel like I needed to ask my mom first because I'm an adult and can buy what I want. (laughs) So tell me, am I the asshole Reddit? Edit. Forgot to add, I already have 58 trees I bought a year ago. I did inform her I was purchasing those and she was okay with that and helped me bring them home. Oh, I want I don't know what I want. I just want this to be everything. Well, I know what I want, and it's for this kid to be the main character in my next novel. Oh, Um, please. (laughs) Can you name all of the trees? All 208 of them? Well, and and, um, also, this may or may not be Liz. (laughs) Not 100% sure. All the other information might just be you know, covering for the fact that it's Liz who bought a bunch of trees. But at which point I would just be really sad that our favorite tree farm is closing. I know. I think that's the tragedy of the story that I can't imagine is getting nearly enough credit. I know. Okay, let's go back to Yankee Doodle. <laughs> Yankee Doodle went to town riding on a tree farm. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, I'm sorry, listeners, we don't ask us to be (laughs) normal in December. It never ends well. Uh, (laughs) The history of protest music uh, in the United States is is long and really nuanced, obviously, and not really my specialty. Um, But I do think it's important to do at least a brief gloss of the history because it ties directly to how morning comes has begun to take on a new meaning in the last few years. Um, lucky for all of us, uh, other people have done this much better than I would have if I were doing this from scratch. Over on Vox, in a piece titled The History of American Protest Music from Yankee Doodle to Kendrick Lamar, Bridget Henwood chronicles some of the significant instances of music as protest in United States history. We can find it as far back as the Revolutionary War and Yankee Doodle, which began as a song the British used to taunt and tease American soldiers. According to Chris Roberts, who wrote a book about the history of various nursery rhymes, the intent of the line, stick a feather in his hat and called it macaroni, was a way of taunting the Americans for their lack of wealth and style. To quote Roberts from an NPR interview, 
the key to this is the last word, macaroni. Now, we all know macaroni as an Italian dish, as a very tasty Italian dish, in fact. True. In the, yeah, I mean, it's, it, yes, facts, as the some <laughs> generation of kids would have said at some point in time. Uh, but in this rhyme, what the macaroni is referring to is an English youth cult from the 1760s <laughs> and 70s. For those of you old enough to remember the romantics of the 1980s, that's probably the closest analogy you'll get to the macaroni's incredibly dandified youth. Huge wigs, tight jackets, winkle picker shoes. They stopped the streets of London when they were walking around, and they had a very strong influence on fashion, much beyond their original numbers. And their favorite food was macaroni, which came to be the name for the movement. So what this most popular version of Yankee Doodle is, in fact, doing, it is saying... You, that you can't just stick a feather in your hat and pass yourself off as a macaroni. Now, this is my second novel. <laughs> oh, please. Thank you. And also, I have not done any re- research into what a winkle picker shoe is, but I'm but into I want it one. Name. It's really great. I don't really care. I just yeah. want one. But it, it is stepping away from this argument and into a different one for just a second, it is actually really interesting to think about Yankee Doodle as being a song that kind of emerged around this this youth cult, as they say, in the 1700s, <laughs> like this, this small group, because how much of popular music has always been about youth, like centered around and built and driven by young people and teenagers once teenagers were a thing. And so I find that like super fascinating because... You know, young people have always been the ones driving music, even if it's about how, you know, dandified they are. Um, With their feathers. Yeah. But anyway. Oh my gosh, Casey, feathers. Feathers. Sorry, that connection really worked. (laughs) Um, But uh, what this does indicate is that Yankee Doodle started as a song used to mock those who might not be able to match a particular style. Um, but according to Roberts, this song the British sang during the war was turned against them at the Battle of, Bu- Battle of Bunker Hill when the Yanks started singing it back to them. Um, I'm fully willing to believe this is an apocryphal story because it's just one of those things that seems a bit too satisfying to be true. And now most of us are just kind of baffled by the notion of sticking a feather in our hats and calling it macaroni. But we teach it to kids anyway, because why not? Oh, and honestly, I did think it was a riff on those kid cracks or you glue dried pasta onto cardboard so I've learned something no it's it's way better than that it is (laughs) but part of the reason I really love this story and this reading of the song is that it helps demonstrate the way a song's meaning can change and shift over time the way we use language and music helps us determine how a song will be experienced and remembered as we move forward through history in the U.S. We see continued attention to war through music, uh, particularly during the Civil and Vietnam Wars, of course, but uh, across any major war um, or even any minor war, you will find songs of protest, um, songs of support, propaganda songs, any number of things. Um, so, so war has kind of always been the central theme, but because it's the United States um, and because it's, you know, the world in general, war is also accompanied by another major theme of protest, which is race. Uh, in 1939, Billie Holiday released Strange Fruit, one of the most poetic and haunting songs in American music. In the song, which was banned for most radio stations, Holiday invokes the image of the lynchings of Black Americans, 
forcing listeners to grapple with the brutal treatment of Black citizens through beautiful, accessible instrumentation and melody. The twisted mouth Scent of magnolia Sweet and fresh Then the sudden smell Of burning One of the most affecting pieces of this song is the way it asks us to reconcile the sentimental imagery we associate with the South, pastoral scenes, scent of magnolia, as she describes, with the utter inhumanity of the treatment levied against Black Americans. Bulging eyes, twisted mouth, smell of burning flesh. As we discussed in the episode on the Southern Gothic when you were talking about its definitions and structures, this tension is inherent in the Southern Gothic and in the, the United States South in general um, and the United sure. States more broadly. I mean, it's not, we like to pretend that it's unique to the South, but it's, it's oh, not. No. And it can also be found in a lot of ways throughout a lot of Delta Ray's work. Um, you know, how is beauty twisted by a space forever haunted by race? Of equal importance here is the way that Holiday Song asks for li- listeners not to take specific actions. It's... The puppy has decided to just she to wake up and play. So, Hi, apologies puppy. for ra- random background noise. Arthur's having fun. Um, <laughs> it's not calling for a boycott or declaring the need for peace at a time of war. It is instead a forceful commentary demanding the audience shake off complacency and ignorance. It presents a picture of reality as it is and refuses to look away. A couple decades later, in 1964, we get Nina Simone's blistering Mississippi Goddamn. Now, Henward points to this um, as something that Simone wrote and recorded after the 1963 murder of activist Medgar Evers and the death of four young girls during the bombing of Alabama's 16th Street Baptist Church. Uh, Another song that was banned from radio airtime, Mississippi Goddamn is a song fueled by rage and grief, but it also has a pretty bouncy and driving beat to go along with it. My country is full of lies, we are all gonna die and die like flies. I don't trust nobody anymore, they keep on saying go slow. The song actively calls out the moderate notion of do it slow, pointing out that no amount of respectability politics and careful moderation of requests for equality are going to result in tangible change. Just try to do your very best, stand up, be counted with the rest, is easily the most hopeful refrain the song has to offer. The rest of the song is a fiery reminder of the lies white Americans, particularly moderate white Americans, offer to absolve themselves of guilt and the way those lies manifest in racism, fear, and death for Black Americans. Oh, but this whole country is made of lies. You're all going to die and die like flies. I don't trust you anymore. You keep saying go slow. These conversations sound familiar, it's because we're still having them today, uh, which brings us back to Delta Ray. When I attempted to pinpoint when Morning Comes began to have a different shape for me, it was pretty easy to identify, the 2016 presidential election. The days following the election of Donald Trump brought with them a morass of emotions, uh, and Rebecca and I just so happened to be attending a Delta Ray concert in Atlanta that very weekend. Yep. I think for many of us, Morning Comes offered a flash of catharsis at that show. 
Eric what wearing what Rebecca and I have uh, taken to very affectionately referring to as his emo hoodie. Um, <laughs> the visual is a black hood pulled all the way over his eyes. I got to tell you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, he was basically just dressing the way a lot of us felt. Uh, oh, no, it was a complete manifestation of everything to the point where I actually had Casey send me a picture she'd taken of that night because I was convinced I had made it up. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so, so Eric is, you know, singing, can I be blamed if I'm angry and, you know, promise I'm clinging to hope in a way that mirrored how many people in the audience were feeling. Um, this is a time I really remember hearing good to my people screamed instead of sung also. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I can't speak for anyone else in the room, but I definitely teared up during that performance. I needed that moment of being in a crowd of people all sharing and embracing the same bleak determination to keep trudging towards something better. Um, I would argue, however, that it's, it's more than just the political moment that has changed how we think of Morning Comes, but that it's also a matter of how the song is now used in the live shows. Sure. For at least the past year and change, if uh, the set list I have on my wall are any indication, <laughs> uh, Morning Comes has been placed directly after the performance of All Good People the band's protest song in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Not unlike Mississippi Goddamn, All Good People was released in the wake of a tragedy at a historically Black church. The 2015 shooting deaths of nine congregants at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston promised Delta, prompted Delta Ray to release the song, which they had already been writing. Since the song's release, it has in many ways become central to their presentation and ethos as a band. Each time they perform it, Brittany introduces the song with a request of the audience to follow them to a more serious place. She regularly changes and adapts her preface to reflect the political conversations of the moment. At the September concert we attended, for an example, she specifically encouraged the crowd to read and follow the 1619 Project, which is an in-depth exploration of the origins of slavery in the United States from the New York Times that launched in August 2019. Britney's speeches have grown more explicit over the years. She regularly calls for white people, which includes all six band members and a majority of the crowd at any given show, to raise their voices for anti-racist purposes. The version of All Good People available for download on iTunes and similar platforms is a shorter version of the song as performed live. Um, there are also some small lyric changes that make the song more inclusive. The line, When Our Brothers Cannot Breathe, from the recorded version alternates live with When Our Sisters Cannot Breathe. And I admit that sometimes I find myself in, inserting a kind of nod to the our, our non-binary siblings, um, which is something that Brittany regularly points to in her uh, introduction of, of Hands Dirty, which is lovely and vital because more than two categories in the world. Um, yeah. Most significantly, one of the biggest changes uh, um, in the kind of full version performed live is that the song offers a verse that points out the ways in which white Americans frequently dismiss racism as a solved problem. To which the song asks, but when, the, when shots ring out in Charleston, tell me who are the ones that bleed. Uh, so we've talked at some length about the intentional fallacy in a previous episode. Um, it's kind <laughs> of our favorite thing, apparently. It's just like, you know, becoming our own version of an inside joke, which is the weirdest thing, but it's <laughs> appropriate. Um, but I want to be clear that I'm, I'm not interested in speaking for what the band intends, uh, nor do I want to base my analysis on any assumptions therein. Like, I, I don't know. I have no idea how they, you know, approach this, how they, what the conversations they have, what, how they, they structure this. Um, well, and that goes back to the joke about the 
VIP section and Eric's implication. It's nice to hear some of our conclusions validated, but it's not really the point. Yeah, no, like I, I still would have been a hundred percent right, even if he hadn't agreed with me. Um, <laughs> so it's fine. Uh, oh. So just as a little bit of a spoiler heads up, y'all, we're going to be recording the great Badlands debate of 2019 in person when Rebecca is in town next week. <laughs> and if you think this episode is wacky, just <laughs> just wait. It's going to be a lot worse and a lot better. I know a lot about prairie dogs right now, Casey. <sighs> yeah, well. Uh-oh. Giant Cardinal is staring at me through the window. Anyway, okay, where was I? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but what, what I noticed in researching for this episode is the way that all good people, both as written and as performed, offers some interesting parallels to protest songs that have come before. Nina Simone's Mississippi Goddamn in particular. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, Simone's song was written and recorded in the wake of a tragedy at a black church, much like all good people. Mississippi Goddamn bats away any attempts at the assumption that there can be a moderate voice in the fight for equality. All good people refuses to accept the fight against racism as belonging to only one portion of the population and demands we see the fight as ongoing. There are even interesting parallels between the performances and instrumentation. Mississippi Goddamn was first played and recorded live, and its upbeat sound offers a chilling counterpart to the bitter lyricism. All Good People builds to an anthemic crescendo that explicitly models the song's call for people, white people in particular, to raise their voices. I have no idea if any of the parallels were intended. Uh, I honestly don't really think they were, and I don't think it matters if they were. That the parallels exist at all is the point. Uh, our past and present protests have so much in common because our past and present have so much in common. And now, at long last, we come back to Morning Hums. Um... The challenge with a song like All Good People is that while it certainly sits, fits within the rest of the set sonically, tonally it's hard to recover from. How do you go from a song about the violence levied against Black Americans into the rest of the set? The answer is with a song about hope. That's how Eric often transitions into Morning Comes Now. There's a brief moment of pause, then a promise that the next song is a song about hope. And if All Good People builds to an anthemic crescendo, the current iteration of Morning Comes as performed live is an anthem. Yeah. It's a loud performance, a full performance. It demands the audience clap and sing along. It screams about being good to my people. It's no longer an individual meditation on struggle and perseverance. It's now a collective explosion of hope and defiance of the onslaught of troubles the world sends our way. It even makes sense to me that this is the first year the band has released a march associated with the song. Uh, for all that it's been a mainstay of the band's catalog since its release, Morning Comes has only lately transformed into a song meant to bind us all together with hope, rather than to keep each individual soul afloat. Over the last few days, the Writer Diehards account on Twitter has been doing a kind of advent calendar of sorts with the Carry the Fire album. Um, and in the uh, kind of snippet about Morning Comes, they, uh, they and I think, I think it was Becky Holliman that um, wrote this, uh, uh, if I am interpreting things correctly, but 
one of the things that that they write here is you know we are just beginning to learn about the band's next chapter of light and dark but they've been singing about it since the beginning Delta Ray couldn't have predicted how their journey over the last 10 years would go, the ups and downs, lights and darks they would experience. And yet somehow they seem to have written a reminder to themselves all those years ago. And I, I, one of the things I like about this is the idea of it as a reminder that they wrote for their future selves before they even <laughs> kind of realized that's what it was. Because in a lot of ways, Morning Comes is, a, is an example of a song that had meaning and value from the moment it was released and that meaning has just grown and shifted and changed and morphed and in a way that, you know, you can't predict and you can't anticipate. And in a lot of ways, you know, they, that song is a different song sung by different people for a different audience now than it was, you know, in 2012 when it was released. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see if, you know, how the song continues to transform, um, especially as we move into the eras of the light and dark. But the beauty of the song is that it carries such potential with it, uh, you know, such hope, uh, you might say, that, it, that it'll always have something new to add. Um, and I, I think for me, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about for a long time, and I am still trying to figure out how I want to articulate it and, and what it means to me, but um, I thought a lot about how each of the albums and releases um, – that they've made kind of has different thematic energy for me and, and thematic concerns and intentions. For me, Carry the Fire is very much this story of kind of the individual negotiating their place in the world. And uh, after it all is very much this um, example of kind of this this national identity but this this mythos of a national identity right that it's not and you know how do you fit into a mythology that may or may not be real um both sonically and yeah lyrically like i, I think there's there's something in there um yeah. and they've moved i think you know of late into a lot of songs that have this kind of political awareness and this political consciousness and that their their songs even even a lot of the breakup songs right have this political mindedness to it which I, I find really interesting and so I'm gonna be really curious to see what the light and the dark are uh for me because I have I have some theories right I have some ideas of what the light will be I have I alluded to this earlier in the episode but I have developed a full strong uh assumption that or you know belief that uh the dark is going to be about the perils of late stage capitalism and i'm super into that oh my gosh <laughs> um but but yeah like i think that's part of what i i have always found really interesting about delta ray as a band is that not all artists not all bands, not all writers, not all, you know, actors, whatever, are, are able to kind of seem to be asking kind of cohesive questions across different bodies of work. And I think that for me, Morning Comes is a really good example of how, as for all the different themes that they find, all the different questions and concerns they preoccupy themselves with, there's that central line, that central ethos that connects it right that it can go from this early version of the band kind of just starting out to this end of the first decade of the band moving into you know 
a complicated feature as an independent, you know, band, but also a complicated feature for the world as a whole, right? And that that song can still have relevance and meaning. And shifting its relevance and meaning in response to all of the interesting times thrown our way. Right. And I, I also will, I think it'll be really interesting to see if at any point morning comes circles back around. Right. And mm-hmm. if that collective struggle become like, not that that'll ever go away. No, it's just they, a layer. But if they have other songs that to kind of take up that question and that conversation, does that free morning comes up to become again, that personal intimate story, you know, like I, and there's no way to tell. I, I just, I think it's just, that's part of what fascinates me about it is that it's, such a flexible and moldable song for a song that has such a clear and precise vision. Sure. You don't generally see pretty small narrative storylines taking such large stabs at universal experiences. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's my, my morning comes thesis. It's uh, a good thesis. One of the, I like this one. One of our papers that we write for this podcast no she's not actually kidding i'm looking at a paper right now yeah no we that's just kind of how we've ended up doing this whole thing now admittedly when we get to the badlands debate it'll be (laughs) a lot messier oh Uh, but there's going to be so much paper there's going to be so much so much there's going to be a lot of yelling we're going to scare the dogs it's going to be great i know i'm going to have to hug my friends yeah but uh but anyway so we'll be recording that one next week um and hopefully we'll get that up in a timely manner um (laughs) maybe as a kind of end of year special and then we'll see what 2020 brings in terms of episodes and arguments to come um well i think we'll have a lot to talk about i mean we always do well you know even if it's just buying a lot of trees (laughs) i kind of want to buy some trees now i want another tree I have a lot of trees. You can take one of my trees. I don't want to take you a tree. I want more trees. All right. Well, on that note of us wanting more trees, <laughs> that is super relevant to this very serious discussion of you know protests in the history of the United States. Uh, I think we'll wrap up so that we can both get back to not grading. Um, <laughs> uh, as ever, uh, I'm Casey Elaine on Twitter and Casey Elaine on Instagram. Uh, Rebecca. I'm R.L. McNulty, M-C-N-U-L-T-Y, in all of the places. And uh, we will we'll catch you again very soon. And you can hold our hands because it's a long way down.